Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to Rock Animation Podcast. Uh, my name is Sam Snelling. I'm your host today. We're going to uh, go back down Opponent's Alley. Uh, today, we are going to talk to our friend, Eric Fawcett. He is a basketball writer for GatorCountry.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at EFawcett7. Uh, always a good follow for, for college basketball fans in general, but especially if you have any even passing interest in the Florida Gators. Eric, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing really well. Uh, it's really good to be talking basketball. I mean, uh, yeah, you introduced me as a basketball writer, and that is like 100% true. Like, I don't, uh, I don't touch football. Like, um, I, I watch it and enjoy it, but I, I don't write about it at all. I am all basketball. So, uh, hey, in, uh, in September, like now, it's just awesome to be talking hoops. So, uh, so thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I am uh, pretty much focused on basketball year-round, so uh, I, I think my wife ch- kind of gets annoyed uh, with it uh, once the NBA Finals um, are, are about to wrap up. She's like, I'm really ready for basketball to be over. Uh, and, and so I like to kind of give her a break uh, for a few months, and, and so I, I do kind of skip things like the tournament and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, but I am ready and, and gung-ho to jump back into this basketball season. I think it's going to be a really good one, particularly – uh, and the SEC, but I brought you here because uh, you follow the Gators. Um, you're sort of deeply entwined in all things Florida Gators. Uh, for those who remember, we had you on last summer uh, to talk about sort of where the Gators were at that point, and we're kind of going to kind of do the same thing this year. Um, 
So Florida had a really, really big offseason, I think it's safe to say. Uh, I think the excitement level in Gainesville is, is, is probably uh, as high as it's been, maybe since Mike White has taken over. Uh, a big reason for that is the addition of graduate transfer and, and uh, former Virginia Tech star Kerry Blackshear. Um, so what does Kerry Blackshear bring to the Gators that they didn't already have? Well, I think that there was a lot of holes at that position. Uh, there was like Florida had a bunch of guys on the roster that are kind of position locked to the five but no one who is proven as a starter kind of starting quality center. So uh, they, they kind of had a hole no matter which way you looked at it. They didn't have a proven rebounder at that position. They didn't have a proven shot blocker. They certainly didn't have a proven scorer at that position. So uh, really before Kerry Blackshear came, uh, the big hole in the team was the five spot. And uh, I, I wasn't going to be, I, w- I was never one to say like, oh, you know, Florida is good at that position. Uh, there, there was a big hole. So what Kerry Blackshear really brings is just someone who, who I think could very well be the best scoring five in, in all of college basketball next year. Uh, I think he would have done that, you know, wherever he went, uh, not just at Florida, like he chose, but uh, just his ability to score inside. I mean, uh, something that I know is like, it, it's not super sexy right now to post up and have your back to the basket and, and to have a traditional five. Um, but when you look at how efficiently he scored it down there, uh, he actually, he should continue to post up. I mean, he was someone who was kind of over 1.1 points per possession for those into uh, into analytics on post-ups and at high volume. So he's someone that you could just dump the ball into and say, hey, go get a bucket or um, go put someone in foul trouble. And he also has that kind of pick and pop game where he can uh, he can shoot the three. He, he didn't have a ton of attempts from three last year. So I, I think a lot of people are like super believers in him as a three-point shooter where I still think um, we're going to need to see a little more volume before we can say for sure, but he's definitely uh, shown that potential. And then uh, defensively, you've got a guy that, uh, you, you know, he's big and strong, but he does have a little bit of uh, ability to move his feet. So uh, you can switch him a bit. Um, you can kind of uh, sit him in a zone and be active or, or kind of use him in a few different ways. So I think that um, for Florida, he's someone that's, uh, that really helps on both sides of the ball. Uh, but for a team that has defended well, uh, but hasn't really scored the ball and really has not had a scoring center in Mike White's time. Uh, I would say that's got to be his, his biggest contribution is, is having a threat down low. Yeah. For a, a position on the floor, that's really sort of taken a back seat uh, to sort of, you know, pace and space and, and sort of pick your spots from three and, and all sort of stuff. Um, you know, Missouri is in a similar boat to where they, they utilize Jeremiah Timlin a lot in the same way. And, uh, and, and trying to sort of utilize the post as as a, a way of creating angles. Um, one of the things that I always sort of felt about the Florida offense is, is it, it became a little stagnant because they didn't really have anyone on the inside who they could go to for a bucket. Not, you know, I'll do, do respect to a guy like Kavarius Hayes. Uh, you know, he wasn't really a guy who you were going to trust uh, to sort of pitch the ball down into the block and and then maybe cut off and let him let him go you know have a shot attempt. You were going to kind of stick him in the in the dunker spot and hope that uh, that one of the guys sort of driving to the basket might might draw the defense enough to get him a quick dunk. It, it's totally true. I mean, I, a term I like to use is changing the geography of the floor like um for florida last year and and in kind of the last couple of years uh when they've been moving the ball it's a lot of like 
um, point guard spot to wing spot to the corner back to the wing spot back to the back to the point and it's just a lot of like swinging it around the perimeter and I mean um, ball movement is cool ball movement is great but if you're not moving the ball inside and then back out again uh, defenses can kind of just, just kind of stay on their toes and, and not have to move too much I, I think when you really see the best offenses in college basketball um, it's the teams that can get the ball inside and then kick it back out and make defenders have to backpedal uh, make defenders have to suck back into the paint and then burst out for a closeout uh, Florida just wasn't creating opportunities where teams had to close out to them and then drive by so Florida was a team that was super reliant on the three ball um, but teams actually love to play zone against them which I, I know a lot of times zone gives up zone will kind of you know give up three-point attempts but because teams were so uh they just had no respect for florida throwing the ball inside they'd play their normal zone but they'd extend it a step or two so um players wouldn't have to be uh chasing cutters or anything like that they just kind of sit on the outside sit on the perimeter let florida move it on the outside and then florida would get in late clock situations and, and shoot a contested three so i i do think that um for them i think uh, of all the teams that kind of carried blackshear was down to i i do think he meant the most to florida so uh florida's got to just be ecstatic that they have him. so i think a lot of the sort of optimism kind of coming into this year was was how some of the younger guys on the team performed last year a guy that i was uh really intrigued kind of coming in um and had had a good year, um, maybe not as as good as I thought he was going to be, but it was it was definitely solid and something that you can build upon. Was Andrew Nemhard uh, as a fellow Canadian, somebody I'm sure you're you were uh, previously familiar with uh, with him before he even got to Florida, because um, all Canadians know each other, yeah, right? That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, what are the things that you like about Andrew and what are the things that you definitely think he needs to improve upon for Florida to kind of have the special year that I, I think a lot of fans are hoping for? So, I mean, um, the stuff you like is obviously his passing ability. Uh, that's, you know, no surprise to anyone who watched him play. Uh, just his ability to, uh, to, to make passes with his height at, at kind of six, four, six, five, he's just going to have those kind of passing angles over the top or, or there's, he was really, really adept at um, kind of bringing the ball really far to his side and, and making bounce passes from really low, just because of how, how kind of long he was playing against smaller guards. So uh, yeah, his, his vision, his ability to pass the ball uh, really, really special. Uh, the bad with Andrew Nembhard is he's just not someone who can go and get his own bucket. He was not someone uh, uh, who could shoot off the dribble, um, and he was not someone who was really great at getting in the paint, and if he got there, wasn't always a great finisher. Though that was probably the biggest thing that he got better at from the start of last season to the end of last season. He did improve his finishing, but I wouldn't say he's uh, he's elite. And yeah, the, the shot off the dribble, uh, he's got kind of a funky release. It, it's not great. And while he actually was a really good catch-and-shoot shooter, um, with numbers that would really surprise people, his shooting off the dribble was just abysmal. And and uh, some teams really, really figured it out. Um, uh, Auburn was a team that was just really content to let him do, uh, just dare him to shoot off a pick and roll or to let him get to the middle of the floor and dare him to make a play and finish instead of collapsing on him and letting him uh, kick out, which, he, what he's, which is what he's really good at. So um, one thing that's been kind of cool for Nemhard is he's played for um, the Canadian senior men's national team this year at the FIBA World Cup. And uh, not only was it the FIBA World Cup, but Canada played seven exhibition games um, that were all against really good teams like Australia and USA, New Zealand, and uh, Nigeria. So there's actually been 
um, a good sample size of watching him in the summer. And I really think he's gotten a lot better at attacking off the dribble. He got a lot better at finishing around the rim, but uh, the jump shot still kind of eludes him. He is, he's not a threat to shoot off the dribble. So that, uh, that takes away a big threat uh, when he's coming off a pick and roll. But, um, you know, his, his leadership abilities, his ability to pass the ball, uh, that should be really nice with Blackshear on the roster. But um, I really do think he's going to have to uh, find a way to score a little bit to uh, to just be a little bit of a threat and, and, and make teams kind of respect him. And then the addition of uh, – so Florida had a really highly touted recruiting class, uh, Scotty Lewis kind of being at the top of that. But the guy who I was uh... – really sort of excited to watch play within this year is Trey Mann. But I am sort of curious how you think Mike White is going to sort of utilize two guys who are probably accustomed to having the ball in their hands a lot uh, in, in both Nemhard and uh, and Trey Mann. And, and how do you think the offense is going to look with, with both of those guys who are you know pretty capable ball handlers? Yeah, so that that is going to be really interesting. And uh, Trey Mann is just someone who's just so electric scoring the basketball. And uh, he's another guy that, you know, you talk about how Florida hasn't had anyone even close to Kerry Blackshear. Uh, they really haven't had anyone close to Trey Mann. Uh, Trey Mann is just electric with the ball in his hands and uh, can get to the hoop at will, can create with a step back and hit jump shots. Um, I, I'm really impressed with him. Uh, I, there's a lot of talk about Scotty Lewis, and that is like totally deserved for what he's accomplished. But like, I, I think Trey Mann is probably the player that is going to have the better college season. I think that Scotty Lewis is the better NBA prospect, but I think Trey Mann's the the player who's going to have a better kind of freshman season. And uh, yeah, so you've got a guy like like Trey Mann who's kind of a scoring point guard, and then you've got Andrew Nemhard, a really traditional point guard. Uh, I mean, you could even throw in the fact that they obviously have Kerry Blackshear, who's someone who initiates a lot of offense from either the high post or the low post. So. Um, something that Mike White has always wanted to do. It's something that he did earlier in his time at Florida and kind of always at his time at Louisiana tech was play, um, play a motion offense, something that a lot of people are really familiar with. And even people who, you know, played high school basketball will know playing a motion offense. Um, for that, you really need guys who can beat people one-on-one. And that was not Andrew Nemhart's strength. So they went to something a little more like a Princeton offense. And that's what we saw a lot last year. Um, a Princeton offense, a little slower, a lot of back cuts, a lot of back cuts off the ball, um, a little more of a methodical offense. So what I kind of see is when they have Andrew Nemhart as the primary ball handler, primary point on the floor, I think they're going to stay to that um, that Princeton offense. That's a little more methodical, um, a little more players get to certain spots and then you operate from there. And then when Trey Mann is on the floor, I think they go more to the motion offense that Mike White has always wanted to play. And Trey Mann can be that threat to beat a guy off the dribble and create that way. So uh, I think that'll be something that that, that I'm kind of expecting. Uh, I'm really interested to see if that happens, but I could see a little more structure with Nemhart and a little more freewheeling from Trey Mann. Yeah, and, and a guy that I was always uh, pretty high on a, as a recruit um, was Noah Locke, and, and I really thought that coming into last year, he was probably the guy that was maybe uh, more undervalued because of his ability to shoot the basketball. Like, I tend to think that we always sort of undervalue as recruits guys who can just flat knock down shots. And, and that was uh, sort of a strength for a lot coming in. And he certainly showed that last year. Yeah, so he's someone who who started the season really, really well and then had this hip and groin injury that actually really bothered him. But I don't think it was really... Uh, people weren't really aware of it because he kept playing. And that's something that was kind of interesting was um, he had this hip groin injury that, that really limited his mobility and really hindered his jump shot. 
but uh, kind of the word that uh, they really believed the uh, the training staff was that he wasn't at risk of harming it any worse. So he just kept playing on it, kept playing 30 minutes a game on it. But if you actually look at his splits um, up until that injury, he was like 43% from the three point line at like seven attempts per game. He was close to close to 14 points a game. Like he was really, really scoring the ball well. And it was all centered around his jump shot. So uh, while he it kind of like tailed off because of his injury and he went down to being like a 37% three-point shooter, uh, I, I kind of think of him when he's healthy, he's going to get back to that maybe 43% mark. So uh, he's someone who, you know, that, that really is his game. I mean, I, I don't remember the exact number, but uh, the amount of shots shot attempts he had at the rim last season were single digits, and I think most of them were in transition. <laughs> so in the half court, I mean, you know what he's looking to do. But, uh, but like you mentioned, there is great value for like, legitimate shooters there's lots of good shooters in college basketball there's few like really legitimate shooters and he was someone as well that i went back and tracked this almost all of his three-point shots were were from beyond um the fiba range that the three-point line is going to be he was at a lot a lot of his attempts were from nba range so he's not going to be bothered by um the three-point line moving back uh and i see he's someone that hey you throw the ball into blackshear um noah lock is going to you know, that's someone that defenses are going to need to know where he is on the floor. He's someone who's going to find space for him or, you know, Andrew Nemhart, uh, he was, he was able to really find Noah Locke relocating to the corners in a lot of plays. And I think he's just someone who's kind of your perfect, um, you know, when you've got someone like Andrew Nemhart or Trey Mann or um, Kerry Blackshear, it's just great to have a guy like, uh, like Noah Locke playing at the two spot. who's just going to drill jump shots and, and keep the defenses honest. So uh, he's someone who's not going to get a lot of the talk because there's, kind of these other big names coming in but he's going to be extremely important yeah and he's a guy who's who's not super big he's not super imposing he's not crazy athletic he's he's about 6'3 200 pounds and and but he's a guy who like his feet are always in, in good position to shoot and his shot is so compact and so efficient uh that it, it's like if you go back and watch film of him shooting it's just so easy to see why something like let's move the three point line back will will not really be a bother for a guy like that. Like there's there are certain guys that just doesn't matter how far you push them back. Sure, their percentages may dip a little bit the farther they go out, but it's not gonna be drastic, uh, you know, for guys that are practicing that that, you know, that twenty foot jump shot a lot more. Um but I do want to uh sort of pivot to the the other guy in that class who's I would sort of call him like the opposite of Noah Locke. Like he's a freak athlete uh he's built like a defensive end uh Keontae Johnson is a guy who barely looks like he should be in a basketball court um but he is really effective uh in doing a lot of things being around the rim as a defender as an impact player and the kinds of things that he can do just just with his athleticism uh how do you think like they're going to be able to use because I mean I sort of look at him as the best fit as really like a small ball four. Um, but now that there's a little bit more of a traditional roster at Mike, uh, at Mike White's uh, hands, like, do you think he's going to see more minutes at the three or is Keontae Johnson still going to see some minutes at the four this year? I still think he's primarily a four just because I, I kind of alluded to this earlier before Blackshear came, but Florida has a lot of players in the front court but like pretty much all of them are kind of guys that are primarily fives. And I think are probably not 
at mobile enough to be guys you want playing long stretches at the four. So I see Keontae Johnson still getting the bulk of his minutes there. And uh, one thing that you don't lose having him at the four as a small ball four is, is rebounding. I mean, he was a monster on the glass. He was Florida's best rebounder by whatever metric you want to use. And uh, just his leaping ability mixed with his kind of wide shoulders. He could carve out, carve out space. And then uh, he could also jump guys. So you could just see, you know, a shot would come up. He'd bully his way to the weak side of the floor uh, of the rim and just out jump a guy to get a board. So uh, he is someone who I would say is um, at first glance, you might think his offensive game is pretty limited and like it is limited, but he's just really effective in what he does. Like, I think he might be the best, at least last year. um, And he could be this year too, but I think he was just the best player at attacking closeouts, which is something that like, isn't gonna like you you know you don't see that on instagram you don't see that on the highlights but just like it's it's just simple fundamental basketball that you know when you get a ball and someone's closing out to you can you get that first step on him and and create an advantage situation and he's just so good at that so he's someone who uh is is a solid three-point shooter nothing uh nothing super great or 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 you know tons of volume but a kind of solid three-point shooter someone who can really control the glass and, and someone who can attack closeout so uh, while it's uh, his kind of offensive game is simple, I think it's really effective. And when uh, you've got kind of other weapons on the floor, I do think he's kind of the perfect kind of complementary uh, kind of fifth starter. Or you know, just like I kind of said about about Noah Locke, I, I do think that Noah Locke is kind of uh, the perfect complementary piece of the two. And I think Keontae Johnson's the perfect complementary piece of the four. And uh, going back to what you first asked, I, I actually really wish that he could get some more minutes at the three. Um, as well, like, I mean, playing in the SEC and playing kind of some of the teams that Florida plays, there's, uh, there's a lot of kind of really, you know, great, big athletic threes that are, you know, in the six foot seven range. And, um, it would be really nice if, if Keontae Johnson could match up with some of those elite wings. Uh, and I think there might be some lineups where Florida makes that work, but, um, yeah, I, I do see him at the four this year, mostly. So th- then it's almost like Mike White set up this uh his his now sophomore class to sort of complement his uh his now freshman class i know that's not really how it works but uh it it is almost like that because they've got a lot of complementary pieces that really go well uh with with omar Payne uh and with scotty lewis and with trey man and i want to talk a little bit um because i you know i think anytime even when you have a a sort of top 50 big man like there's there's always possibility and probability that uh, that he'll kind of need some work. And I think Omar Payne probably fits into that a little bit. Uh, so let's kind of look at a guy who I, I think is probably going to have more of an impact this season in Scotty Lewis. Um, what is it that, that Gator fans uh, specifically are kind of expecting to get uh, from the McDonald's All-American? Well, uh, ooh, it's, it's interesting the way you phrase that question because uh, you asked what Florida fans are expecting. And I think what Florida fans are expecting <laughs> might be a little more because well, I, I am going to ask what you are expecting because <laughs> I always think like there there is a difference between what fans want to see because uh, I think fans want to see like that that you know freshman all-american come in and just be lights out and be a top overall pick you know like the second he hits the floor um so I want to start there have you answer that and then we'll talk about maybe what our expectations should be so what Florida fans see is, is you know a five-star who's the number seven player in the class and um one thing about Scotty Lewis, I mean, uh, obviously, you know, every year there's about 25-ish 
kind of players that are five stars. But Scotty Lewis was kind of one of those guys that's been like ever since recruiting services started doing the 2019 class, you know, like three years ago or whatever, he has always been top 10. Um, so like Andrew Nemhart was like technically the first five star that uh, that Mike White has gotten, but he was someone who was like mm-hmm. a four star up until like the final 24 seven, um, you know, evaluation. So it, it didn't quite feel the same as, as landing Scotty Lewis, who just forever has been a five star. So, um, so right. yeah, what people are expecting is, you know, like you said, what you kind of might normally get from a McDonald's all American is someone who's, um, going to be maybe one of your primary offensive players uh, in Scotty Lewis's case, the expectation is, yeah, he's going to be, uh, a lot of people would say he's the best defensive player in the class. I think that's kind of the reputation he has. Um, and something else that you've, uh, that people have really seen from him is just kind of his fiery competitiveness. And that's something that Florida's roster has, has really lacked, I would say, or are just guys who are just kind of, you know, dogs, whatever you want to say, just someone who, um, really shows their desire to win. And, um, uh, also just someone who, when he speaks, he's just incredibly intelligent. He's really, he's, he has just a really eloquent way of talking. Um, and he just really endears himself to you that way, just because he is such a, uh, such kind of a magnetic personality, someone who, uh, for the last couple of years at his high school, he's he's put on charity events for for homeless people in his community uh, to raise money for them. And I mean, he started doing that in his 10th grade. So uh, a really special uh, kind of personality, I would say, that you, you don't see often. Um, but, you know, if you want to get into what the expectations really should be, I, I don't want to talk down on him. But um, one thing I just don't think that maybe a lot of Florida fans realize is just... Uh, he is very, very raw offensively. He is uh, someone who, I, I, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if he scores double digits this year, but I actually think he's he might be someone who's like six or seven points a game. And I know for a McDonald's All-American, people might be, say like, oh, like that might shock people and uh, and be like, oh, does that mean he's like some form of bust? And, and honestly, no, like he's someone who really rebounds the ball really well. And like I, I really think he might be the best perimeter defender in this class. And there's, uh, there's lots to be said about that. And, and I really think that that brings a ton of value. And I think he's going to be a winning player and he has the, the mindset where he'll, he'll do the dirty work to win. Um, but I would say just the biggest kind of misconception people have is, um, just that I do think people are going to come in and, and think the ball is going to be in his hands a bunch. A lot of people on the Gator Country forums um, talk about how, uh, you know, there's a discussion about, oh, is, how much is Andrew Nemhart's assist numbers going to be down now that he's playing with Scotty Lewis? And I think uh, probably not at all. I think Andrew Nemhart's going to continue to have the ball a lot more than Scotty Lewis is. And, and I, um, I would say that's just the one thing I would say that people need to um, temper their expectations. is just that Scotty Lewis is, is a great player. Uh, but his value is on the defensive end right now. It's it's not a lot on the offensive end. And um, he was at the Nike Skills Academy the other day, and uh, or a couple weeks ago, and we we kind of saw both elements of the Scotty Lewis experience because he was uh, he was really struggling to just make plays with the basketball. He was turning the ball over a ton by by forcing too much, um, and then um, in kind of the ultimate. Um, Scotty Lewis it was the last day of the camp it was the last it was literally the last scrimmage there was five minutes left in the camp and he turned the ball over and uh there was a fast you know breakaway the other way and he went for the big chase down block you know at the end of this camp five minutes left scouts are gone um and uh in doing so um fell awkwardly fell on his neck and the stretcher needed to come up for him now luckily that was all that was um you know that it was precautionary and he's all good but that kind of is the scotty lewis experience he he turned over the ball by just trying to force too much um 
but he was not going to let someone get a fast break layup or a dunk. He was going to sprint down and he was going to prevent a layup at all costs. And I think that that's uh, something we might see is, you know what, he's going to have some mistakes with the ball and turn it over, uh, but he's also sure as heck not going to let, you know, an easy bucket happen on his own hoop. So um, I, I do think that if he can kind of realize himself as, uh, as someone who's not a great shooter and someone who just doesn't need to force things with the ball in his hands because he's got Andrew Nemhart and he's got Trey Mann and he's got Kerry Blackshear and he could be someone who's just like thrives running in transition and maybe scores off cuts because Kerry Blackshear is a good passer and so is Andrew Nemhart. Uh, th- that'll be his great value. But um, in terms of my expectations for Scotty Lewis, I think elite defender, but I mean, um, he's not someone, you know, as you're a Missouri fan listening to this, um, I, I, when Scotty Lewis gets the ball in his hands, I, I don't think you're going to be scared necessarily for what he's going to do with it. But you will be like, <laughs> oh man, he is just an absolute menace on the defensive end and is really frustrating you that way. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Horton's new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Yeah, so of the guys that we've talked about so far, um, sort of omitting them, who's who's a guy who you think that we haven't talked about uh, that is going to have a really, really big impact on the uh, the Gators this year. Yeah, I mean, we've really ran uh, ran up and down a lot of the players, but I would say the one uh, the one player that uh, there's we're not really gonna you know you wouldn't naturally have him come up, but I think it's Dante Bassett, who was this backup five last year, and it's you know he played you know nine minutes a game, he uh, had some good moments, but uh, you know it's not someone that. Uh, uh, is really going to jump off the page at you. Uh, he's someone who came to uh, came to Florida in uh, in Mike White's first class when you know he came to Florida was this you know coach from Louisiana Tech who doesn't have a lot of clout in their recruiting circles quite yet. And uh, he got Dante Bassett, and he's the last remaining player from that class because everyone else has transferred out. And even um, the next year. Uh, even the next class, everyone has transferred out. So Dante Bassett is the one remaining player from Coach White's first two classes, and uh, you know someone who's like you know generously listed at six foot eight or six nine, um, but plays the five, and he's not particularly athletic, and he doesn't have a great jump shot. But um, you know, so he'll be a redshirt junior this year, but just every single year he's gotten better. Uh, every every year he's added to his game, and he kind of worked himself into the rotation. And he's someone who he, he's just. He, he was someone who, you know, early I thought he's a guy that Florida, you know, Mike White got. He kind of filled up the class because he needed warm bodies. Um, kind of someone I thought like, hey, this is, you know, we'll probably see him in the transfer portal sometime. But he just keeps getting better every year. And I just think when he's gotten better every offseason, um, I just think he's going to keep finding a way to get in the rotation. So he's someone who's like, hey, maybe he finds his way on the floor as, as one of the people who gets back up four minutes. Or I would say, hey, he's probably the person who's going to get whatever backup five minutes there is. And um, he led Florida in charges taken by a long shot. I mean, <laughs> kind of the old school basketball minds will, will yeah. love that, you know, as a guy who who's not afraid to just step in and take a charge. And uh, someone who kind of is like, hey, I'm not the most athletic guy and I'm not that long or, or big. So uh, this is a way I can protect the rim, man. Uh, he kind of showed flashes as a jump shooter. I'm not totally sold, but um, he's someone who I think is kind of on like 
I, I don't want to say breakout because I, I don't really see that. But if you're going to be like, if you're going to look at the end of Florida season and be like, hey, there's a guy who played 15 solid minutes and contributed to winning, uh, I think that's the guy. So that's someone who's maybe a little off the board that, uh, you know, even Missouri fans are going to be like, yeah, I don't know that name. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I guess now is probably as good a time as any to kind of pivot towards the uh, the Gator fan view of Missouri. Um you are kind of familiar with Conzo Martin, and I think a lot of SEC fans for his time at Tennessee. Uh, what, what's sort of been your general impressions of, of Martin and the job that he's done since taking over for Missouri, as far as Missouri's, because they're probably the lowest point for the program in, in modern history? Yeah, I mean, he's someone who I, I have a lot of respect for just because I'm someone who, whenever Florida's playing an opponent, I go you know, pull up synergy and I start looking at the numbers and I start pulling clips and uh, Missouri is just always a team that I feel like, I uh, feel like really gets the, or Quanzo Martin, I should say, is really just a guy who gets the most out of his guys. And, uh, uh, someone who I've just really, uh, really actually kind of like appreciated from the outside, the way his teams play defenses. And I think that, uh, you look at some of the guys that he's had and, and, um, the way that the rosters have kind of turned out with injuries and, and it's just someone who I feel like has really gotten the most out of his guys. And then I, I actually see the guys that he has in this recruiting class, and I, I really like them. I mean, Mario McKinney was a guy who I thought was uh, kind of really rising in a lot of people's eyes, and Florida was in on him for a time, so that kind of got me into him more. And then um, Trey Jackson is the wing that everyone wants these years. So I, I just see the pieces that he brought in. Um, also a really fascinating guy in, in Axel Okongo who played some high school basketball in Canada. So I knew his name and then kind of forgot about him until I saw that uh, that Missouri got him. So, so I kind of like the makeup of this recruiting class. But um, uh, the other thing too is, I mean, from a Florida standpoint, if you want to know what like the Florida fan thinks about Missouri – um, you just look at the way that even though, like you mentioned, there's been some kind of down years for Missouri. I mean, Missouri's still playing close games with Florida. So I think that there's a lot of respect for uh, from Florida fans there. And um, I think there is, you know what, there's a lot of like real Florida basketball fans who are um, disappointed at kind of the fan turnout for Florida games. And then I think when you look at um, look at that home environment for Missouri and see that kind of um, see, see the way that um, that those kind of fans have stuck around, I mean, I don't want to say it, but I guess I'm kind of in, in safe hands here. Um, I mean, if Florida, if Florida had the, the seasons that Missouri had, I, I would be terrified for what the uh, the attendance would be at games of Florida. I'll say that much. So, um, and and kind of the people that I've talked to as well that are kind of real Florida basketball fans, they see uh, they see the way that Missouri fans still show out, and uh, there's a lot of respect there too. So as far as uh, this upcoming season, you know, what are your expectations for uh, the Tigers and, and sort of where do you see them fitting in the SEC race? That's a good question. I mean, I, I, I every year kind of find, you know, you're the guy who does the, uh, you know, get some media members to do the uh, SEC picks every year. And I, I'm pretty sure I come last every year. So maybe not the right guy <laughs> to ask. But I mean, I still kind of, you know, I look at Texas A&M and, uh, you know, I see Missouri above them. I see Vanderbilt. I think they'll be ahead of them. And I even see, uh, you know, there's some good pieces at, at Alabama and Arkansas, but I could see one of those teams kind of kind of falling. So while I, I, I don't see Missouri in that, you know, the top tier or maybe the middle tier, I could see them kind of get, getting into that late middle tier. And I, I still, you know, we talked about, again, how um, we don't talk. I, I, I still feel like people are so kind of caught up in like small ball and, um, that's kind of trendy and having stretch fours, but I still look at the teams that go deep in college basketball every March, and I see um, they've got they've got size in the front court. They control the glass, and they can pound some teams that are smaller. Every year, there's like these trendy teams that play 
four or five guards or play really small and they come to the tournament and get bounced by a team that can uh, offensive rebound and get easy buckets at the hoop. And uh, so what's, so, I mean, I see the roster and I see the front court for Missouri and I just still think they're going to cause a lot of problems for people. And like I said too, I think Mario McKinney is going to provide some of the kind of maybe electricity in the backcourt that's been missing. And then, um, yeah, I, I kind of like the way that some of these pieces fit a little bit more than maybe I have uh, the last couple of years. So uh, I, I think like, I don't think Missouri is going to find themselves in the basement. So I'll say like bottom of the middle tier, kind of in that like eight, nine range, uh, maybe nine, 10 range. That would be kind of my thought. Yeah. I actually have a, a standing bet with, uh, with Mike Rutherford of the card Chronicle because he had a, a preseason um, sec thing and had Missouri at 13th. And I, I said, I will, you know, bet you whatever you want <laughs> that they don't finish uh they don't finish that low and um and i somebody said you know like if what if they finish 14th because you know obviously kind of being smart and i said if missouri finishes worse than he predicts then i will double the bet uh but i'm expecting to clean up on that one because uh i'm actually sort of bullish on them and i anyone who is listening right now probably knows that um i think this is going to be a sneaky good missouri team and and mainly because uh, you get another year of Jeremiah Tillman. Like we've we've kind of said, the importance of being able to you know change the the angles on the floor. Um, Jeremiah has slowly started getting better about staying on the floor and and, and playing with foul trouble and stuff like that. Uh, if he takes another step this season and 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 does it even more, then uh, I think with the amount of shooting that they have, with the improved guard play that they all have, with just some experience uh, like Torrance Watson and. And Xavier Pinson, and, and a guy I think a lot of people are going to find out soon about how good he is, is, is Drew Smith. Um, Mark Smith's ability to shoot the ball. I think Missouri's a team that could finish maybe as high as like fifth or sixth. Um, ultimately, I, th- I think probably six, seven is where I'm falling. Um, but I think they're, I, I actually, I do think that they're an NCAA tournament team. And I think some people might be surprised to uh, find out how good this Missouri team will be. Um, but as we finish up, and I want to kind of wrap this up pretty quick because I, I know uh, you've got places to go. Um, last thing I want to touch on is Florida fan expectations. Now, I certainly think that the majority of uh, the media, myself included, um, probably has them in the top two or three. Um, what, in your mind, would be a disappointing season for the Florida Gators? Well, I... I, I think if Florida, if, if Florida, even, you know, Florida gets the Sweet 16 and, and were to lose there, I, I, I really think that people would uh, uh, have some problems with that. And I, I also think, you know, Florida is a team that's done very poorly in the SEC tournament um, every year. So I think that if Florida were to, like, lose out early in the SEC tournament again, that would also really bother Florida fans. Um, I, I would say for me personally, like, I really look at the roster and I, I really do think this is a team that's got to be in the final four mix. And, uh, it's kind of talking about, you know, Mike White has um, had good teams and, and been been good for sure, but it hasn't been been great outside of, you know, the Elite Eight run when he kind of first came and things really aligned. But uh, I do look at the kind of matchups that, you know, I, I think that if everyone, you look at what everyone looks for in these teams that go go kind of deep, I think that there are teams with them, uh, you know, with a, a really good kind of veteran point guard. Well, Florida doesn't have a veteran point guard, but they've got someone who plays like a veteran point guard in, in Andrew Nimhart. And then you say, uh, you know, it's usually teams that defend really well. 
Um, you know, Florida can defend like a team that goes deep. And uh, Florida's got the one kind of matchup nightmare in, in Terry Blackshear that a lot of teams are not going to have an answer for. And then they've got kind of the, the sprinkled in one and done talent of, of, of Scotty Lewis. And I would say Trey Mann is not for, far from a certain one and done, but someone who is going to be kind of in that kind of realm. So I think that Florida has the makes it makeup of a team that can go to the final four. And um, I, I would say this is a team that's got to be in the sweet 16 elite eight hunt. And I, I do think even if Florida were to lose in the sweet 16, like to the wrong team, I think I could still have a, I, I would personally potentially be uh disappointed and I, and I know fans would be too but uh yeah florida hasn't uh, i also think from a fan perspective i you look at up florida's performance in the sec tournament and man it's it's got to be better so uh, i think that's something that'll also be uh it'll be probably disappointment a disappointment if florida doesn't at least get to kind of the semifinals of the sec tournament so they, they could go like uh 32 and 5 during the regular season uh you know scheduled for a uh number one seed uh, get to the Sweet 16, just have a terrible shooting night, uh, losing the Sweet 16, and Florida fans would be disappointed. You know what? <laughs> Florida, Florida's not, Florida's a weird. Florida's been a little spoiled at times. I'll say. I, I really do think that that Florida fans would be a, a little bit disappointed. Well, the the shame, the problem with that too is, I mean, being at a football centric school, I mean, um, Florida could. You know, you talk about that. You know hypothetical record i mean florida fans probably won't notice too much even if they're beating some of the their big non-conference opponents they're really starting to clue in in, in february so uh yeah I, I, there will definitely be some fans who are and, and let's let's remember too i mean there's still a lot of people who are not mike white fans within the florida fan base and uh i, I think that a lot of the those people who are not mike white fans aggressively not mike white fans they're all saying well now he's got the talent and he's got you know He's got the front court piece he's never had, and you know this is the year for him. So I mean, those people, if, if Florida doesn't go deep, they'll they'll be loud on Twitter. Let me tell you. Yeah, I, I just love the idea that you know someone will be, uh, and I like I'm always the guy. It's like I'm always enjoying the ride a little bit more than sort of like the end result. Um, and the idea that somebody like at 32 and five would be like well, they didn't make a Final Four, and you're like, I mean things happen in the tournament like you know like really really great teams lose in the tournament and sometimes it just happens you know like uh, i i think that this florida team has uh a lot of the pieces i i'm not entirely convinced that this is a final four team i think they have the talent to be um but i'm curious to see how it all kind of comes together because i think they've got the right mixes of talent uh Outside of Kerry Blackshear, I'm not convinced they have uh, what they need in the front court. Uh, so we'll see. And and I, I I honestly like I wouldn't be surprised if they finished you know third or fourth in the league and, and were a little disappointing. But actually, we're one of those teams that got better as the year kind of went along. And everyone looks at the year uh, lo- looks at them at the end of the year and like oh man how is this team like 23 and 11 you know um, you know but they're playing uh, like a top 10 team at the end of the year and and then you know once you get in the tournament it's a crapshoot. Yeah, I mean, one thing you did like if, if Florida does find themselves in that situation, I, I do think that it'll be um, the fact that they are a little thin at the wings. And I mean, Keontae Johnson hypothetically is a perfect wing, but uh, he's going to be kind of stuck playing the four, I think, because if they don't, they're going to be slow and kind of inexperienced in the front court if they slide in someone like an Omar Payne to play more for. And um, you know what? Florida has been a team that's really struggled to score, and Kerry Blackshear is a great offensive player. 
but that's totally unlike anything that Mike White has had. So maybe that doesn't exactly fit. And, you know, like I said, like, I mean, I am really, really high on Trey Mann, but he is like a volume scoring instant offense guy and relying on a freshman to do that might be ambitious from for me. So um, <laughs> there, you know, the scenario does exist where this is another team where um, I think it might not be great offensively. And uh, so, yeah, that, that reality where, um, you do look at it and you say like, yeah, how's this team, you know, gotten 10 or 11 losses. I, I think that if that were to happen, it's because, um, you look and say like, well, we should have known that this probably was still not going to be a great offensive team. So yeah, that, that possibility definitely is out there. Well, Eric, it's always a pleasure to talk, uh, talk Gators with you. You're, um, one of my favorite people to talk to when it comes to, to hoops, uh, particularly about Florida, because, uh, you're, you know them as well as I know the Missouri Tigers. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> So um, definitely go to GatorCountry.com and read uh, Eric's writing. You'll find some really uh, informative articles. I particularly enjoyed his series in the middle of the summer uh, where he was basically recruiting Kerry Blackshear to the Gators uh, for Mike White. <laughs> Much funner to read retrospect than when you know. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it, it was an uh, entertaining look into all the ways that, that Kerry would, would fit really well into the Gator offense. Um, but go over there and definitely give them a follow on Twitter at efawcett 7 um, Lots of uh, great basketball content. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Uh, anytime you want to talk hoops, uh, I'll be there. And once again, I'd like to thank Eric for joining me on the podcast today. Uh, again, give him a follow on Twitter. He is one of the better uh, SEC basketball minds. He's a lot of fun to talk Gators with. Um, you can read all of his stuff at GatorCountry.com. Uh, probably the, the, the best um, Florida Gator content. Uh, don't tell SB Nation I said that. Um, but uh, it's, it's really a great, great site and, and full of really interesting uh, writers. Um, last thing is make sure that you uh, do all the requisite podcast stuff like subscribe, like, all that, uh, whatnot. And uh, we will be back next week. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'll bring uh, Matt Harris back. We'll do an episode of Dive Cuts. You never know. Uh, so until then, uh, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>